You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Good morning, Living Way. Man, that's going to make me, I'm going to try to stay with you today and, and not get uh, too emotional, but man, as soon as I said that, I just thought about every time I walked into the movie theater and just was trying to be annoying to the band, and I'd be like, good morning, Living Way, good morning, and they'd be like, good, and they wouldn't let me be annoying, they would just be like, good morning, and I'm like, no, that was not my point, but um, I was just trying to be me, and they let me, and I love them. Man, I am so excited to be able to talk to you today about what's going on in our life, and what's going on in, in, in what I've been reading with scripture, and where God's been taking us, and, and I first want to just thank you guys for allowing me to be here and, and do the things you've allowed me to do over the last years. Um, it, I, I hope I've come somewhere near as close to blessing you as you've been a blessing to us. We have grown so much and got to be a part of so many lives, and God has got to use us. And, and it's an amazing thing to be used by God because you feel like you have the purpose you were meant to have, and you guys let me have that here. And I am, I am so grateful about the last seven years with you guys. Uh, just the opportunity to be here and, and, le- and, and thankful for Ted for bringing us on and caring for our family and walking through life with us through, through some really difficult times um, with, with, with my son being hurt and different things you guys have been there for and just us growing and watching my daughter grow and those who fed into her and, and my littles and we're just so, so grateful for that. So I thought, as, I, as we're getting called to a different place, I was like, what should I talk about? And God was like, well, you're getting called. Talk about that. And so I thought I would take some time to walk through with you guys what it's like to be called and what that looks like in your lives. Because I believe even though we're going to Phoenix, some of you guys will stay here for the rest of your lives, and I'm sorry. Um, so, um, but Des isn't here anymore, so there's that. Uh, <laughs> Oh, was that too, too, I had to do it one more time. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He's going to be a cardinal, watch. Um, That'll be insult to injury. Uh, But uh, no, I love the people. Uh, Whoa, hold on. That's embarrassing. Quit talking about me. Hello, God? No, it's, it's Ted, this is awkward. Okay, a little awkward timing, but okay. No, no football in service, not at all. You're right. Okay. Oh, that hurt. Pray. I will make sure I pray. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. That was very timely. A little weird because you're right there, but timely. All right. Thank you. Well, uh, now I'm going to turn this down because in the last service I forgot to turn it down and it rang again. It was my realtor. (laughs) Awkward. (laughs) Can't talk right now. Um, But wouldn't it be that nice? Wouldn't it be so wonderful if God just called us that way and said, hey, this is what I got for you, right? It's never yet happened that way in my life, and I suspect it's because he expects us to grow and know him, and if, if it was that easy, I don't think we would. Um, 
I think if, if God was just sitting there, you know, talking into your ear, where would our faith be and where would our growth be and, and where would our drive be to know him? And I think these are key aspects to being called to something. I know at least in my life it has been. And, and I want to encourage you guys to, to know before we start that what I'm talking about is not necessarily being called to this stage or called to sing. I believe God has a calling on every single person's life. Whether you know God or not, God has a calling. And there's an order. Eventually, you're going to have to know him to follow that calling. But God has a calling on each and every one of your lives. And learning what that is and learning how to follow it and, gosh, learning how to deal with it when he changes up. Because last year, we didn't think we were going anywhere. Uh, My wife several times said, "Are, are we going? And I said, God has not called us. I don't feel like God has a place for us or a ministry, and I, don't, I believe that our family is designed to follow ministry and to follow God, and, and sure enough, she knew before I did, because very soon thereafter, uh, God started putting on my heart that it was time to go, and what that looked like, and so I want to go through it with you, and I know whenever I'm going through something, I tend to try to and, and, and go to the Bible, not because like I'm holy or because I've got it figured out, but because I don't know what I'm doing nine out of ten times. And, and I, what I try to find is similar situations where people in the Bible are going through this, so I know how God deals with people. And so as I started going through this, there's a couple things I was looking at. We had talked a little bit about maybe going through Abraham because I love how Abraham is called. But really what my heart came down to was to talk about the first calling of the disciples, because that is actually Jesus, almost like on a phone, saying, come and follow me, right? And, and I want to walk through this a little bit with you and see what it looks like and see what we can get from it. So if you want to open your Bibles with me, we're going to start in Mark 1, 16 and 20. And I love Mark because Mark is very simple. Um, it, it's very likely he was writing this with, with in, in concert with Simon, Peter. And they're very down-to-earth people. They're very just this is how it is. I love Mark for that, because it's not, John can, sometimes, John was an intellectual, and sometimes he can be a little wordy for me, but Mark's simple, and I love it. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Does anyone find that weird? Right? If I'm a fisherman, and somebody says, yeah, let's go fish for people, we're getting arrested, all right? I, that's, that, there's no way that's good, right? No matter what we're doing, like, where, at what size do you throw them back? I have no idea, all right? So come follow me. I'll send you out to fish for people. And at once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little fa- farther, he said, hey, I got two. Let's get two more. He saw James, the sons of Zebedee, and his brother John in the boat. I love these guys. They're called the th- sons of thunder. I don't know who they are, but I want to know them. Right? I feel like this would be like I'd be watching Sons of Anarchy and Jesus would be like, get off that motorcycle and follow me. Right? <laughs> Ted the other day in service said he's never, he, he would probably never hire a son of thunder. And I said, do you even know me? Um, you hired one. And I just love these guys. I don't know. <laughs> I just, just they, my heart is with them. Uh, without delay, he called them. No delay. And they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat. Love that. Old guy in the boat. Hey, it's all up to you. Now we're out. Um, sound familiar, parents? Um, with the hired men and followed him. Does anyone find this story disturbing a little bit? I mean, put yourself in their place, right? When I first read this when I was a kid, I was, I was looking desperately to know God's call in my life. And I wanted, and I read this story, and I was reading about calling. I was listening to these people, and they're like, yeah, just get up and follow God. Leave everything. It bothered me then, and it bothers me now. What do you mean, leave everything? First of all, I'm 16 years old. I'm not allowed to leave anything, I've got chores waiting, right? Like, 
what are you talking about, leave everything? And as I got older, it became more troubling because they just get up and leave. What about their families? These guys had families. What about their, their income? How are they going to support themselves? They're just getting up out of a boat and going? No, no. This is, in my mind, I'm like, this, is, this can't be right. And what I find is when I'm a little confused about the gospel, if I read other gospels and get the same story from a different perspective, it clears it up a little bit. I would highly recommend if you're reading a story in a gospel and it's repeated in other gospels that you read those stories at the same time because you're going to get the whole perspective then. John's writing from a, when he writes about this story, is writing from a theology viewpoint and he adds a lot of clarification. Luke's a doctor. He writes from like this science kind of academic field and you get a much better description of what's going on. Mark just wants you to know that Jesus called and people followed, right? And then he's moving on. So, so there's important parts about this that I think you need to, to read. So let's go through this. Let's look at the other, the other Gospels. Matthew's going to repeat the story almost verbatim, right? And so I go to Matthew, and I'm like, you're no help, Matthew. It's because you're a tax collector, right? You're not helping me. You would think he would be in more details, but he's not in this particular story. A lot of times he is, but not here. So then I go to John, because John's always deep when he tells a story. And let me read you John's part of this, because it's important. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Now, we're talking about John the Baptist here, not John who wrote the book of John, all right? And so John, who wrote the book of John, is talking about John the Baptist, and he's walking with his disciples. He has disciples of his own that are following him, and he points out to two of them. He says, hey, look, that's Jesus, the one I've been talking about, the Lamb of God. These guys have been following him. They know exactly who they're talking about. And so they leave John and start following Jesus, which is because they've been waiting for this guy. So they're like, okay, John, thanks. You've taken us as far as you can take us. We're going to see what this Jesus guy is about. And they follow him. Um, it's probably, it's, we know it's Andrew and it's probably Philip, okay, uh, that are these two that we're talking about. And so he, he, they, they start following Jesus and he says, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? That's encouraging. Like, Jesus, shouldn't you know what I want? You're Jesus. And he's, but he's making them speak, and he's making them commit, and he's making them talk out loud and verify what they're doing so they know. Um, and he, he said, they said, where are you staying? And he said, come, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that whole day with him. So it was like when Ted and I first met, except Ted's not Jesus, Okay. And, and I got to know him a little bit. And I said, hey, what are you doing in your church? I'm interested in being involved in youth and doing that kind of stuff. And he said, well, we might need a youth pastor. And we spent the day talking and had lunch. And then we had several more lunches. And I came to church and I got to know him. So what we're finding is that this story isn't as simple as it seems. Jesus didn't just walk up to him in a boat and say, hey, get up on. He, he already knew him. He had seen him before. They were being discipled. We're going to see some of this as it goes through. Uh, they spent the day with him, and it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, who is Peter's brother, was one of the two. And he, and he said, to, he went, first thing he did is went and found Simon, and he said this, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, son of John. You will now be called Cephas. First time you meet a guy, he's like, and I'm changing your name. Ted in first service changed my name to Rico. I said, what would you change my name to? He said, Rico. I said, agreed. All right? I feel like I'm a Rico. All right? No one else does, but I do. All right? And so he, and Peter just says, okay. You, his name means the rock? I'd be like, yeah, you could call me the rock. Heck yeah. All right? Um, and Peter does. 
I, I feel like Peter and I are kindred souls. All right. And so he does, but you got to understand when, when you're renamed in like Old Testament, New Testament, that's somebody taking ownership of you. So it's like the rabbi saying, hey, I'm going to take ownership of your life and I'm going to mentor you and you're going to be a part of it. And Peter is all in. Okay. Um, later, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, I can never say that word, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, Nathanael says, can anything good come out of there? Right? Like when I first, my friend Dondi introduced me to Ted, and, and I understand that the conversation went something like this. Hey, Ted, I got a guy you need to meet. Might be a youth pastor. He's from Phoenix. And Ted said, Phoenix? Psh, can anything good come out of there? And it worked out that way. I don't think that's how it went, but in my head, I'm pretty sure. All right? <laughs> and so Jesus sees Nathaniel approach me and said, hey, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. He greets him like he knows him. And Nathaniel says, how do you even know who I am? Nathaniel asked Jesus. I, and Jesus says, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. So he's saying, I already knew what you were doing. I could see you. And Nathaniel immediately switches gears and says, hey, this guy knows things he shouldn't know. This guy is being uh, told to me from people I count on and I love. This is the Messiah. There's something that clicks when Jesus says this. Um, for me, I'm going to lead a little more that you saw me under a tree or that you knew I was under a tree, but Nathaniel, it clicks. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel, Jesus said. You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You'll see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man, which is an amazing thing. It's the last we hear about Nathaniel, really. We don't hear much more about Nathaniel in the rest of the New Testament, but we hear him here because we get to see how God calls Luke, uh, if you go to Luke, Luke clarifies a little bit more, all right? We see from Luke, when we go into Luke, that Jesus has already known these guys, right? They're fishing, right? And as we read through the scripture of Luke, we find that Jesus doesn't just call them. He says, hey, you fisher guys, throw these nets out here. And they bring in this ridiculous haul of fish. It, it fills two boats, and we get a couple things out of this. I'm going to read this to you, and then we're going to move through the rest of it. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake, I can never say that word, Gennaris, I don't know. Ted, you want to help me out here? No? Thank you for that. The people were crowding around him. It's a Hebrew, it's actually a Greek word, but it's still, I don't know what it means. Around him and listening to the word of God. It is unimportant. Let's know that. Okay, he saw the water's edge, two boats, left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he says to Simon, put out into deep water and let the nets down for the catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catches of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will, be, you will fish for people. 
So they pulled their boats up at shore, left everything, and followed him. Okay, I love the story of Luke because it tells us so many things about how we're called. It adds to the story in some really, really, really important ways. Okay, the first point I want to make to you is that when you're called, there's a progression. There are times, miraculously, when God will come in and say, hey, I'm going to miraculously do something. But most of the time, God works within an order. And there's a progression, and there was a progression here. John the Baptist had disciples. He was teaching them about Jesus. When Jesus came on the scene, they got to know him. And we know this just because of the familiarity of Luke. You don't just step into somebody's boat and be like, take me, right? And then command them in how to fish. Hey, fish this way. There had to be some kind of relationship there, and, there, and we start to understand there was. But more importantly, when Peter sees Jesus do something that should not have, that he's never seen before, he immediately is confronted with the fact that this is real. This is what he's been hanging out with this guy and what he's been hearing from his brother and what he's heard from John the Baptist leading up to this has been sinking in and it's been, it's been sitting there. We're going to talk about what that does when the word of God sinks in and you start hearing it. And when he sees this, he knows it's real. And from that moment, his calling is easy to follow because he's been following Jesus. He knows him. It's a progression. They've heard of Jesus. They've known Jesus. This is not some random guy that just gets in a boat and says, follow me, though God could work that way if he wants to. But he doesn't here. He's known them. He's gotten to know them. They've been getting to know him. They've been being discipled, first by John the Baptist and now a little bit by Jesus. Before he calls them, they've been kind of hanging out a little bit. He, they're familiar. Are you seeing a common theme in calling from these stories? Like, if you don't know Jesus, you're not going to know your calling. If you're not being discipled, if you're not growing, your calling is never going to be clear. My calling gets muddled when I stop following Jesus. When I stop getting to know him, my calling becomes less clear. I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't always know how I'm supposed to do it. I know, I know what, I'm, what I'm talented in, what I'm gifted in, but I don't always know the right way to apply that unless I'm steeped in Jesus. They're called full-time. Not everybody is, but these guys are, Right? I believe we're called full-time to spread the gospel, but we're called differently to do it. Not everybody's going to be a full-time pastor. Not everybody's going to be a full-time missionary. I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I don't see myself as a pastor. I see myself as a missionary and always have. Um, I get to double as a pastor, which is wonderful, but I've been called to minister to kids in public schools, and that's what I'm going to do in Phoenix, and that's what I've been doing here alongside my jobs as a pastor. Ted is a full-time pastor. Maybe you'll be called like that. I know for a lot of the YWAM kids, you guys are called a lot of you to full-time missions right now, and that's an amazing call, but not all of us are, okay? And I want to keep this in perspective. They still owned their fishing business. They didn't just walk away. Did you notice that they had partners on that boat? Did you notice that they caught a lot of fish? It's not like, hey, we caught a lot of fish. Cool. Let's just leave them and go. Do you realize that's probably what financed their ministry to go? Those fish, those two boatloads of fish probably took care of their families. The families probably handed off to partners this, this fishing business. It didn't go away, and the reason we know it didn't go away is if you go to John 21, what are Peter and all the disciples doing while well, they're waiting to figure out what to do now that Jesus is gone? They're fishing. You just don't go get in a boat and fish, right? They've had this boat. They've still had this business. Some of us are going to be called to work with Jesus and be called to things and still do our normal business and our normal work. The, the father of Zebedee gets left. He doesn't get called. The partners don't get called. This is important because sometimes your calling is not to go to Zimbabwe. 
I just love that country's name. Okay? It's not necessarily going to the public schools. It's not necessarily to stand up here and preach. Maybe you're one of the people that's called to support those people, which is equally important. I can't do the things I do without your support. I can't go and be a missionary to public schools without a place to bring kids that are going to be loved. I, I can't do that. People can't go to Honduras and to uh, India and to Haiti, there it is, all right, without your guys' support. Prayer and money, those things are equally important. Do you realize that every person that we serve in Haiti, if you supported the missionaries going there, you were just as big a part of God's plan as the people that actually went? That's how some of us get to participate. So let's understand ancient fishing a little bit because it helps us with this fishing analogy. First of all, it's not a fishing line, okay? You don't see them out there like with the big line, pulling in the, you know, swordfish. I don't even know if there's swordfish in the Mediterranean, all right? They're actually throwing net fishing out. Have any of you guys ever gone net fishing? Really? Nobody's ever said that. I don't know what to do with that. I was expecting everybody to say no. (laughs) I, that's amazing. I've, I've never had anybody that's done that before. I've all, I just expect the no. Okay, I'm going to have to adjust a little bit. So for the rest of you, um, it's net fishing. So what they do is they throw these big nets out there, and they just pull them back in, and they throw these big nets out. Sometimes it's from a boat. A lot of times it's from shore. And they throw these nets out there, and nine out of ten times when they pull them back, there's nothing in them. Right? It's hard work. But think of what God's telling them. Hey, this is not going to be individual. It's not going to be, hey, throw it in and reel one in at a time. You're going to be throwing the net of the gospel out there. And a lot of times, it'll come back in, and there won't be anything in it. And it's disappointing, and it's hard. But you have to throw it out again. Because there's people out there that need to be caught in the gospel. It's going to be hard. Net fishing is really hard work. And so I think when Jesus is calling them, he's being specific. Your job's not going to change that much. It's going to be hard. You're going to have a lot of times when you're disappointed because you don't catch anything. And, the, and, and he's preparing them for this. I think God, when he calls us, prepares us for the hard parts as well. So then how do you know your calling? Right? How do we know what our calling is? How do we know that we're in our calling if God has changed it? How do we know what that looks like? Because everybody's different. Some of you, you know, sell cars. Some of you pick up trash. All right? Some of you are police officers. I mean, we've got... Some of you are students, which means you don't know what you're doing yet most of the time. All right? I'm a student. I still don't know. All right? So what does God's calling look like? So let's start here. Romans 12.2. This is a huge verse. If you don't have this, like, underlined and marked in your Bible, you need to. This is one you should call on regularly. Do not be conformed to this. This is worth memorizing. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So discerning the will of God, in this case, assumes a renewed mind. If you guys aren't renewing your mind, you're going to have a very difficult time knowing your call and knowing when God changes it up. All right? For my kids, it's easy. I just tell them, right now, this is your call. Um, It's my job. They're getting to an age, though, where I don't get to do that anymore. Right? They're getting to an age where they're, they're starting to tell me their call. And I'm trying to teach them how to hear it right. That's, that's my job. So, um, any guys ever eat fajitas? Any fajita people in here? How about 
BBQ, barbecue, anybody barbecue people? Okay, no, we're in Texas, okay, okay. I've heard Texas does barbecue all right. All right, um, it's pretty amazing. One of my favorite things that I'm going to miss here is the food, all right? It's way different than what we have in Arizona, I like both equally. Um, what's the key to fajitas? Like if I go into a restaurant and there's fajitas, nine out of ten times I'm getting them, all right? I like fajitas. I'm not a man that tries different things. If there's steak or fajitas, I'm probably going for one of those. Okay, what's the key to a good fajita? Ted, shh, because you already heard this. Tortillas? I don't, I, you know, for you maybe. I don't think that's the secret. Okay. What? The sizzly something. No. What? The marinade. Who said the marinade? You are true fajita people. Right? If you serve me fajitas and it hasn't been marinated properly, I'm going to know. And I'm not going to say anything because it's impolite. But I'm going to thank it. These people don't know how to make fajitas. Right? I'm going to eat them anyways because it's chicken and shrimp and steak. What's bad about that? Right? But the good fajitas have been marinated well. And I love it when somebody says, hey, I got this special marinade. I want to try that. Because when these things soak, they soak up things that aren't naturally there. Good things right? And, and, and the fajitas grow in esteem and glory, right? Barbecue's the same way, right? Have you ever eaten barbecue that's good meat, and you're thinking, this could just use a little bit more marinade? This could use a little bit more time in the soak, right? Or if, if you're a dry rub person, that's fine. It's like the same thing. It just needs to <laughs> spice up a little bit. Guys, this is the transforming of the mind. When we get into scripture, we're soaking. It's not enough just to get into scripture, but also pray, Right? The way we start to transform our mind and change us and be clear about our calling is, is to soak it in. Are you in scripture? Like, are you really digging to see what it says? And then are you praying about it? Because scripture can be confusing, especially when God's saying, hey, this is where I want you right now, and I want you reading this and thinking about this, and you're thinking to yourself, this does not apply at all. Right? God, are you even hearing me? And God's like, yes, I'm hearing you. You're not thinking right. Soak it in a minute. See, scripture and prayer are a one-two punch, right? You're not going to get what you want if you don't do both. So the way we transform our mind is to soak into scripture and let God clarify it for us. When you read scripture, God's going to say, hey, I want you to think about it this way. This is who it applies to. This is how it applies to your life. And you start to grow. And then you come back to a new situation and you soak in, right? And this is a constant thing. So what does it look like? So first thing I want to go is the renewed mind. There's a couple points and we're done here. The renewed mind takes into consideration your gifts. As you start to soak in God and soak in the scripture and soak in and pray, God's going to reveal to you, if you don't already know, your gifting, your sets of what you're good at. For some of you, it will be teaching. For some of you, it'll be prophecy. And the way I say that is that you can look at the word of God and, and you can explain the word of God and understand the word of God on a deep level. Right? Some of you guys will be called to missions. You're called as evangelists to go to the world and spread the gospel. You all have different callings and gifts, and those are going to become apparent and clear, and you're going to work on developing those. The renewed mind can see that, and it's important that you're looking at your gifting because whatever your gifting is, that is where you're going to be satisfied. And if you're not gifted in an area, I'm going to tell you how you know that in a minute. All right? Um, the renewed mind takes seriously the needs in this world and connects them to a heart broken by God. 
okay? Uh, one of the things I love to talk about to people is your son E, right? I loved watching him go to India and prepare for that because for the first time in his life, I think his heart was broken for a people group. And it was just, it was one of the coolest moments I've had here is watching him go from who he was and his love in sports and love in school and to truly have his heart broken for something. And he has not been the same since. It's been one of the most amazing things to watch. I watch this with a lot of you guys. It's just a cool thing. When our heart is broken, it changes how we look. We become compassionate. We, we, we start to look at people and things differently, and we start to really depend on God because we know we're not sufficient. Every time I've ever stood in front of the youth, I prayed before, I'm not good enough for this. I'm not, I don't have the words. I don't have the ability to speak to, to youth the way I need to. God, words. God, heart. God, compassion. Give me the things I need because I know I'm not sufficient without him. If you've ever tried to talk to youth, you know what I'm talking about. All right, it's, they're all different. You can't just get up and say, hey, God, and everybody's going to take it the same. Sometimes I preach and my daughter just starts crying and I don't know what's going on. <laughs> that was supposed to be encouraging. Um, I don't know, right? We have different gifts. We take them seriously. We look at them. We, we, we feed them. And, and, and we understand that God has a plan for those. We see a broken world and we want to use those gifts. And we also have skills and skills or gifts are different. I might have a gift to talk to people. Like I, have a, I, I truly believe my gifting is talking and teaching youth. Okay, I think I'm really called to that. However, there's some skills I don't have in that arena. Organization. I'm not organized. I know, surprising, right? You just found this out. Well, that should explain a lot to you then. Um, <laughs> all right. I'm not gifted at administration. I'm not gifted at organization. I love to talk to youth. I love to find out what's going on. I love to share the word of God. Can't send an email to save my life, all right? And many of you have experienced this. You're like, yeah, amen, all right? You know what, though? You know who is gifted in that? Sam. And one of the things I've been so grateful for, Sam and Stephanie stepping alongside of me for many of my years here, is pushing me to be better at it. And, and picking up my slack when I just can't even communicate what I'm doing and stepping in. And I'm so glad they're here because they are so good at that. And they're going to fix some things in the youth that I, could, I was never equipped to fix. And so it's not just knowing your skills. It's combining with other people who have different skills and ministering and letting God speak to that. And man, does that humble you. The best leaders are humble leaders, and I struggle with that sometimes. But God uses stuff like that to remind me, I cannot do this by myself. I am not competent without him and without others. And so by knowing your skills and knowing your limitations, God keeps you humble. It's not God saying you're not good enough. It's God saying you're not in this alone. That's the renewed mind. You're going to find this work desirable. You're going to like it. Whatever God has for you, whatever he's calling you to, you're going to find it desirable. You're going to enjoy it. And that needs to be taken into account. Do you even like young people? If I didn't like young people, then the calling's wrong. If when I, you know, when I look at Michael, I'm like, oh, my God. I have to meet with Michael again? I am not called to youth, all right? <laughs> if that's my attitude when I see a youth, I'm not called to it. But I tell you what, anytime a youth asks me to go to coffee or sits down with me, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I get to talk to a youth, <laughs> right? I love it. It's, you will love what you do. 
I want to make sure you understand the local church plays a big role in affirming your gifts. The renewed mind understands the role of the local church. Okay? Paul gets called to be a missionary to the Gentiles. He's going to travel all over the world and write most of the New Testament. And you know what the local church tells him? You're not ready yet. We want you to go to Antioch and preach there for a while. You're not ready yet. Maybe it's not that, but it's something along those lines. He has to go wait because the local church is telling him, no, we're not going to send you yet. Fifteen years he has to wait. Sometimes the local church will tell you, you're not ready yet. You need to listen. That was a lot of my life, listening to the local church tell me, mature, you're not ready for this yet. It's important to, to have that. They're going to affirm gifts. They're going to help you understand them. They're going to prepare you to use them. Guys, it's a learning thing. You're not going to get it right away. Ask Peter. He spent his, all of Jesus' life in ministry with him and still didn't get it. And at some point, Jesus then matures him to a point where he can get it, and he's ready. Colossians 3.23, I'm going to end with this. Whatever you do, Paul says, work heartily for the Lord and not for man. In the end, it's about glorifying God. It's not about glorifying us. Our call is not about us. You might work in a company, and there are people in that company that God has put you in the middle of because they need to hear the gospel. They need to hear the gospel. It's not going to be enough just to act it out. You're going to have to use your words. And that's hard for some of you. But if you marinate yourself in God and you're renewing your mind, God gives you the words. It's not your responsibility. It's God's. And so that takes some of the pressure off. Some of you are called to make money. You're good at it. But the point is not to blow up your 401k so you can retire and have that Ferrari, though that would be awesome, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the point of it is God has you as a steward of that money because people need it to be able to go places. People need it to be healed. People need it to do different things. And you're the one that's called and understand how to use it. And that's a blessing. But you're not going to get that if you're not steeped and renewed. God's going to use you where you're at. And sometimes, like our family, he's going to call us to go somewhere else. And it's hard. It's getting harder every day for me to think about leaving this place. Just being up here right now and seeing different faces and people that have been a part of my life is difficult. But if God is calling me, then he knows what he's doing. He's going to care for our family. My family's going to flourish because he's calling us. Guys, I want you to know that he's called you like he's called us, like he's called Ted, like he's called people you see every day, and you're like, oh, it's cool. I wish I had a calling like that. You do. You absolutely do. I'm going to encourage you to, to get in the Scripture this week. Just marinate. Pray about it. God, why you got me here? What are you doing with me? Several times this week, get in that word, because God will reveal how he's using you. I promise you, that's how he works. My prayer is that God does amazing things with you. As we go, I'm going to be watching closely because you are family. And just like I've watched family in Arizona grow and go into ministry, I'm hoping I get to watch that. I get to watch some of you high school kids and junior high kids grow into being people who spread the word in different ways. That's my prayer every day. I'm so excited about what God's going to be doing with you and that I get to come back and see it from time to time and be a part of it. And that we get to share with you as you launch us to Phoenix. Guys, for the last eight years, you have been shaping me for whatever God has there. You've been such a huge part of that. And I can't wait to come back and say, hey, look at all the work you did. 
Because some of you guys did a lot of work to get me to where I'm at. And look at all the work you did and what God's doing with it in Phoenix. So excited about that. Sometimes churches don't prepare. Sometimes churches launch. And that's what you're doing with us is you're launching us. And we're grateful. I want you guys to do the same thing. I want you to look for your launch, even if it's local. I want you guys to get in the word and pray and know God. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for calling us. It's an amazing thing I don't even get sometimes. You don't need us. You can do this all without us, but yet you include us. And God, you let us take part in, in things like salvation and baptism and, and, and spreading the gospel. And, and God, they, they are things that fill us, and I am so grateful for that. Thank you for that. I pray right now as these guys and girls are sitting here that you are speaking to their hearts and saying, I've got a calling for you. I've got a direction for you. And if they already know it, that you're even building it bigger. And God, you are preparing them in every way for the walk that they have with you. God, that you give us the courage to take time out of our busy days because it's so hard to get in your word and just soak. God, that from that we can pray and we can know you so that when you call us out of that boat, we're ready. God, put a, put a burden on us to do that. Be with us as we go through this week, this year. And God, be glorified so that your name is known. We love you. We thank you for everything you are and everything you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.